Hello, world slays and nerditude again. My name is Jill. And I'm Francine. And today we are going to talk about um, Over the Top by Jonathan Van Ness. But before we get into that, uh, we're also going to talk about uh, last weekend we had game night over at Francine's house, which was very fun. Thank you for hosting. Thank you guys for coming. It was so fun. Small groups, you know, like small groups of friends are safe right now. Yes. And we... (laughs) <laughs> took precautions everybody was yes. sanitized and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um yeah so i brought my boyfriend over he's a big time um board game fiend he's the game master he is we- <laughs> big time and he had so many games that we didn't even know where to start so we had him pick out a few that he thought maybe we could like learn quickly at in a party type situation because we didn't want something where it was like we're gonna be here for eight hours yeah and i didn't want to read like a rule book that was like a small paperback you know (laughs) some games are really complicated yeah and i didn't want anything where friendships would be in jeopardy (laughs) so not monopoly or trouble or sorry or risk or (laughs) or risk off the table (laughs) yeah so we ended up playing King of Tokyo mm-hmm. and Sheriff of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. And I really liked Which are both, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. They were both really fun and they were both really easy to learn. Like we picked it up with some mistakes, mostly by me, um, oh, really fast. <laughs> I, I made a mistake in Sheriff of Nottingham. I was trying to give everybody all my money on accident. <laughs> I, you know, that was the more complicated of the two. So I'm glad we played that one second um, because it was like uh, Tokyo was an easy game to like ease us into. Yeah. Again, it was really easy to learn, like super easy to pick up. And I like a game where I feel smart after like five minutes that I'm like, ooh, I know the rules. I know what to do here. Like that makes me feel good when I'm learning a new game. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I preferred Sheriff of Nottingham, though, because that was kind of a lot of bluffing yeah. and trying to sneak in the contraband. <laughs> and we made it fun with some kind of funky accents and, yes. and like storylines. <laughs> and my like the person that I had looked kind of like a bar wench. So but like psychic also. So I kind of went with that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those games, like, where the game itself is, like, pretty simple, and then what the group brings to the game is, like, what makes it an experience. Yeah. And those are fun if you're with the right people. Exactly. Exactly. That could have gone really, really badly if it was, like, let's say a team bonding night for work. Like, mm, no. Yeah. That <laughs> could go very poorly. And it, it was funny to see... Who could trick who and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, who could like get away with lying and who couldn't and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've known you and your husband long enough that I I felt pretty confident (laughs) that I was like, yeah, I I know who's going to lie to me and who's not. And I got tricked and I tricked you. And (laughs) yeah, no, it was fun. And I think like, even though like we don't know Chris as well as you know, Chris, like it's still fun. Like, it's still kind of a in in good fun game. Oh, yeah. Like, if you get too serious about it and you're like, oh, I'm going to win. I'm going to lie to everybody. Like, I think it's less fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there was. So I think. There was strategy. Like, I told the truth mm-hmm. most of the time. Me too. Um, you have to strategically, like, decide when to lie. Yeah. I was telling the truth most of the time. I only kind of lied to you one time. <laughs> Uh, I kind of lied to you one time too. <laughs> like I, I straight up lied to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> how dare? Um, <laughs> That's how you win. And and Chris <laughs> just hella lied to me. So yeah, I think he hella lied to everybody he pretty much. Did. Like he was the biggest liar of the game. I think. That's true. Um, which was unexpected. Yeah, but it was fun. Like it made it more fun. It was. And. I think it's all, it's got to be done with, like, good humor. It does. I think that's the key to, like, keeping it fun is to just, like, be fun with it. Not be, like, I'm going to catch everybody or, like, I'm going to lie to everybody, like, all the time. 
it's as much like a team dynamic game as it is like a tricking each other game. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I really liked that one, but you ended up winning. I did by one point. I won by one point. It counts. Again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lied to you, but that's how I, that's literally like what won me the game was that lie. It's okay. I'll allow it. I'll lie to you a little bit more next time, probably. Yeah. Or will I? I think now that, or will I? That is live in fear, like live in wonder. Yeah. You'll never know. You'll never know what I'm trying to smuggle into the marketplace. So. Well, and it's fun that like there's, there's different ways to lie. Like, I think that's fun too. Like you can lie with, by bringing in contraband or you can lie by mixing other cards into your like type of good. So there's like different strategies to sort of cheat your way through the game. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fun. My strategy was to put money in the bag no matter what. So that people might <laughs> think I was trying to bribe them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of that at all. Um, that was also the game where I didn't listen to the rules the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like at all so i just totally put mixed things in the bag and i lied about how many cards were in there which you're not supposed to do i just broke all the rules on my first turn i left and i was all my money in there thinking <laughs> that you were supposed to do that so neither of us were really paying attention and no, there was wine and we were not. there was wine involved on my behalf but you know <laughs> I just wasn't really lit. I was like, this looks like fun. I, I know how to play this. And I wasn't really listening to the rules. <laughs> so le learn from us, listen to the rules, um, and it will make you a better player. Whoops. <laughs> Up front. <laughs> I think that's a good rule of thumb for game night. It's like, listen to the person who's explaining the rules because they will help you. Yeah. Not look dumb in front of everybody else like I did. <laughs> and I did it more than once, too. You did. Oof. That first turn was real rough for me. I was figuring, I was figuring some things out. You were. It's okay. <laughs> we all got it all sorted out, and and you yes. ended up winning. So there you go. <laughs> we're all friends and loved ones here, so it's okay to be embarrassing in front of your friends. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, we all made it through. It's all good. It's a memory, huh? So there you go. Yes. Truth. We had some delicious food. We had some wine. It was a very fun night. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and so we did that. And then I sent you an audiobook. I shared you my audiobook of Jonathan Van Ness's Over the Top because I know how much you yes. love him. Who doesn't? I love him so much. Oh, I love him so much. And I love him even more having read this book. Right. Yes, a hundred percent. Like good. I didn't think my love for him could expand anymore, and it did magically. Amazing. Hell yeah. So Hell yeah. it was a very good experience. Thank you for sharing it with me. You're very welcome. It was the best thing. Oh yeah, I'm having feelings all over a again. Quarantine joy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uplift. It's a very uplifting book, I would say. Yeah. Even though it has some like really sad parts and it's like really emotional and it, it's kind of like a, it's an up and down road. Like, I mean, it's a memoir. It's about someone's life. So there's going to be good parts and there's going to be bad, like, you know, sad parts and there's going to be like angry parts and, and like dark parts. And that's all going to be in there mm -hmm. because that's part of what makes a good memoir. But I think overall, like the positive tone of the book really like soared for me. Like that idea of through all of this, the message is so clear about like learning to love yourself and learning to accept yourself and like growing even if it's hard and it hurts. Yeah, exactly. So I I was very impressed with how honest he was about a lot of his struggles because if you just watch Queer Eye, I would never expect him to have gone through what he went through because he's so positive and he's such you know he's so full of life and and light and everything and you just would never expect him to be in a dark place like he was so as soon as this book came out in september 2019 i pre-ordered it i was like i <laughs> have got to hear this um i i'm a big audible person so i was like i'll listen to it and 
yeah, it made me love him even more because I was just so blown away by what he went through. So highly recommend before we even get into it. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> fucking go read it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a definite, like, listen to it recommendation, too. Um, even if you don't like audiobooks, even if that's like not really your jam, I think it's really worth it to listen to this one. Uh, JVN is the one who narrates the audible version, mm -hmm. the audiobook version. And I think it was all the more powerful by like hearing his words in his own voice with like his inflections and sort of like his humor. And I think it would have come through like in the, in the written page too, but I really enjoyed listening to this audiobook. I'm not like a huge audiobook person, but this one was really worth it. I really like audiobooks when they're read by the author, especially if it's mm -hmm. a memoir of some kind. And yeah. yeah, so as soon as I saw he was doing this, I was like, I need to do this because it just, for me, adds a level of impact to the story because you can go read somebody's book and it can still mean a lot and have an impact. But when you hear somebody like essentially tell you their story, it just adds mm -hmm. like this extra level to it. That's hard to describe. And I really enjoy it. And I think because of how vibrant he is, I think it just really, really changes the way that it comes across. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and even in like the dark, parts and like the sad parts you still have this sort of like emotional quality to his voice that I think it was such an important part of the experience for me of like experiencing his book yes yeah yeah I loved it so we're giving it five stars right off the bat oh, a million glittery stars absolutely. right off the bat <laughs> just spoiler alert we're giving it all the stars yeah it's great go read it right now mm -hmm. um and so I think we should talk about the book. <laughs> well, okay. Some favorite parts and, you know, things like that. Um, so spoilers for the book. If you want to, like, be totally surprised by the journey, uh, stop now, go read it, and then come back. Because yeah. <laughs> we're going to spoil some things. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but it was hard for me to – pick a favorite part of the book and I know that sounds really fangirly or cliche or something but it all of it just had something important oh by the way my cat's here <laughs> Cosmo liked the book too like the uh, book yeah big fan <laughs> um yes he listened to it as well did he <laughs> he did um all of it really had, like, I felt like one thing I really liked about this book was that nothing seemed to be included that didn't have a meaning or an impact in his life. So even if something kind of seemed like, oh, this doesn't seem like it matters, it like later on it does. And he yeah. really does a good job of explaining, this is why this had this impact on me and this is why I remember this thing and that sort of stuff. And I just, so that's, it's really hard for me to pick a favorite part of the book, but I would say the part that stuck with me the most was his relationship with Sergey. Oh, yeah. So because JVN and I have this obsession with Russian things, <laughs> um, he, you don't say. Yeah, he, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> he uses like really cool Russian names for people in the book to like protect their identity. So mm -hmm. uh, I really liked that he kind of went into detail about his relationship and how it impacted him. Um, like his first real relationship with another man and how past psychological and, and otherwise trauma had impacted him and his relationship and why he did the things that he did. And I just felt like it was so like brutally honest that it was just really mm -hmm. hard not to be moved by it. So yeah. I think that was probably, probably my favorite part because it was so 
deep and meaningful. Yeah. So what about you? So I, first off, kept forgetting the Russian nicknames joke. Um, So I kept being like, wow, these people's names. And then it would hit me like a couple seconds after like, oh, right. They're fake Russian names. I kept forgetting. And it was funny over again every time I remembered, which maybe that's me again, not like paying attention all the time, but it was really funny. Um, And I enjoyed it. I... (sighs) don't also want to pick like a dark part of the book, but I feel like Steve's sickness and death was probably the most powerful part of the book to me. Yeah. Um, I really like the way that he framed the story because as someone who has like experienced death in my family before, I felt really close to that moment of like how hard that is and like watching your family members go through it while like you're trying to process it too. And they had such a like lead up to it happening that I thought that journey was like really powerful. Not the happiest moment in the book, but the way that he like frames his relationship with Steve and then that leads up to like that final moment of his life, I thought was really powerful to me. Like it made me cry. I was sitting there like weeping the whole time, but that's probably the part of the book that is going to stick with me one of the parts of the book that's going to stick with me the longest because it felt so honest and it felt also so like deeply thought out i feel like yeah. he really processed that death and that experience and like what it did to his family and framing it with like their wedding anniversary and like the time having been so close to like when they had gotten married I just thought like wow that really affected him like to have him remember it this way and to have him write about it this way it just it really like ripped me and I had to take a break after that chapter yeah um I mean, the, the first time I read it, especially because I've, I've listened to it twice, um, it it really hit me as well because he he did such an amazing job of like he introduces Steve kind of towards the beginning of the book as like this this guy who's going to be his new stepdad and he just really doesn't like it and everything. And then I really liked how just scattered throughout the book, there is all these instances of Steve being a really good dad you actually don't really hear much about his biological dad after after, not a lot after steve is introduced and i really liked how you know he's like ah steve i you know ew steve and but in the background it's always like but steve is the one who built in the balance beam and you know steve's Mm -hmm. the one who caught him in the driveway with the other guy and didn't say anything other than like be safe and everything so Yeah, by the time Steve passes away or he at least gets sick, it's just like I felt like so personally invested in it and like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. And you could tell I, – I just think that he did a really good job of setting it up so that it's like at first you're kind of like, who's this Steve guy? And then all of a sudden it's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> like he's a member of the family. He's like your dad. He's everything. This mm-hmm. is horrible. And then afterwards when he's gone – you understand why JVN kind of kind of falls off the deep end a little bit and chooses to greet. There's fireworks going off in my neighborhood. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. You can't control these things. I just heard that pop <laughs> behind me. But um, yeah, that I think that added an impact to it afterwards, like when he starts to describe like his addiction and all that kind of stuff. And he was just like, I was just so lost. I didn't know what else to do. And you're kind of like, yeah, you, I mean, you just kind of feel like you're in his shoes a little bit for sure. Yeah. And I really appreciated how he prefaced that chapter with his report on Bill Clinton. Yes. (laughs) I didn't really appreciate that, like the humor of that moment until I had finished that chapter. And then I was like, who did I need that more than I thought I did? Like (laughs) to sort of preload with like, ha ha, you know, like funny kid Mm -hmm. feelings. 
said in his adult voice. Yes, and I I really liked that part especially because, and I think this is where listening to the audio version comes in handy. You could hear him trying not to laugh a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He can, like, sort of look back on himself at that age and go, like, wow, she had a lot of opinions. (laughs) She thought she knew everything, you know? That sort of, like, sassy twist that he brings to thinking about, like, his sixth grade self. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. Like, haha, funny moment. Like, I knew he tells you something bad is going to happen, like, right after this. So it kind of, like, makes you want to, like, soak up every ounce of, like, good humor and, like, funny that's coming off of that, those, like, 10 minutes because you know you're going to need it. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought that was really good writing, like good editing, good organization of the book. Um, Because if you had put that after, uh, no. Right. And if you had put it like at the end, eh, it wouldn't have had that emotional impact. I thought that that like moment, putting it there was so smart. I agree. And I really, I appreciated the like cotton candy before I had to take the medicine, you know, (laughs) if you will. Like that was really... It was, it was nice. I agree. And then, yeah, because it was, that was a rough chapter. Like that was probably the darkest chapter in the whole book. I agree. I think on the whole, like, but it was so important to his story. And like, we're both big fans of Queer Eye. Mm -hmm. I heard him talk about the death of his stepfather and the, like the journey with cancer and all of that, like on the show. Mm -hmm. He's mentioned a lot of the things from the book. He mentioned, you know, when they went back to his hometown to make over his music teacher, he talked about how hard it was to grow up there. He talked about how hard, like how important cheerleading was to him. We know about his obsession with figure skating and like Olympic gymnasts and all of that. Like we get those little snippets from his character on Queer Eye, like the way that he sort of builds himself and the way that he relates to people. But this book filled in so many of those like little tiny surface moments Yes, I think it changes like when I go back and I watch those episodes that that episode in particular when they go back to Quincy, Illinois, um, Mm -hmm. it really changes how I view it because he still puts on a brave face that whole time. But once you know, like what he went through while he was growing up, you're kind of like, whoa, I can't believe you can even set foot in that fucking town, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. wow. It's yeah. And the emotion like comes out of him as soon as they enter the town and he like sees Main Street. He like gets a little bit choked up for a second. And in my head, like having watched that episode before reading the book, um, I was like, well, of course, kids were mean to him because like you grow up that way, like non-gender conforming, like non-masculine conforming specifically in like the middle of nowhere, Illinois a tiny little farm town yeah i could see why you would have baggage from that and like i could see why that would be a really painful place to return to so i kind of like understood it on a very general level but now having heard the whole story it's even more brave than i thought it was initially i agree because i mean aside from the chapters about steve and him passing away like when he talks about his childhood it it wasn't even this it wasn't even just the struggle of figuring out that he was gay it was also he had an eating problem he would binge mm-hmm. eat and he didn't have a lot of friends and he got bullied for like various things and and brutally mm-hmm. so and it's just like he struggled on several different levels and it it kind of sounded like he only had maybe one or two friends and yeah spent the rest of the time with his mom and Steve and his brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and um it yeah it's it's like you said like it, it wasn't even just only what I had thought he would like have experienced but it was so much more and I was just like I I don't think I would have handled it as gracefully as he did or yeah I don't think I would have been okay with doing that episode if like I don't think I'm that brave I don't think I'm that like open especially if I went through what he had gone through like I don't think that I would be that accepting of like 
going back to that place that holds so much pain. I agree. Cause he, he talked about people had spray painted their driveway with slurs and mm -hmm. things like that. And it's just like unbelievable that people thought that was remotely okay to do that. But yeah, the fact that he went back and, and, did it as well as he did and and all and everybody and i and now i i go back and i watch that and everybody in the school is cheering for him and stuff and mm -hmm. you can kind of see him like take a moment and it's like yeah yeah that's awesome <laughs> that you know i'm sure a place that he used to dread walking into is now a place where people are cheering for him and i'm sure they have like uh, a room named after him or something <laughs> they need to put a statue of him right in the middle of town in a gorgeous gown yes <laughs> um yeah i mean it it like i just to kind of throw another example out there like towards the end of the book he talks about the prank that bobby played on him oh during the firefighter oh episode. my god i almost <laughs> fucking fainted Ooh, that's it sounded so awful like okay <laughs> oh. alerts before we continue <laughs> if you have any phobias or you get grossed out by anything having to do with nails like finger or toenails like just skip ahead because <laughs> I don't like I don't have a problem with blood or anything like that. Like I'm pretty good in emergency, but as soon as it has to do with f fucking finger or toenails, I will faint. And so Aww. when he was discussing what Bobby accidentally did to him, I almost went down. <laughs> Just listening to it, you were like, "Nope, don't need those mental images." Nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> we had my husband and I had watched that those couple of episodes of Queer Eye and we noticed the big wrapped up toe and the flip flops. And I was like, man, I wonder if like he had like an infection, you know, sometimes you get like an ingrown toenail and you have to get it like taken off or something. So I had noticed it, but I had assumed it was something like very innocuous that was just like, you know, you soldier on whatever you like hurt yourself or, or, you know, you needed like a medical procedure on your toe and you just keep going. But hearing that story, changed the way that I thought about his poor little baby toe. It wasn't his little baby toe. It was his big toe. Um, and it was just like kind of piecing together those stories from like something I had seen on the show because I thought his choice of footwear was very strange. I was like, JVN and flip-flops. Like, when does that happen? Um, and then I saw the bandaged toe and I was like, oh, you know, like your toe hurts, whatever. Like, that's why. But knowing that it was a failed prank <laughs> that Bobby had tried to pull on him to get back at him for pranking him a lot of the time, which we definitely do see a lot of the pranks played on Bobby, like all the jump scares and stuff like come out on the show. Um, I had no idea that it was a tragedy. Oh, of a <laughs> oh Lord. No. <laughs> uh of a runned over toenail oh god well and in my head it was just so gruesome because of how he's describing it like how okay so bobby's underneath a fire truck and slides out to scare jonathan and catches the edge of the like board that he was on mm -hmm. on jonathan's toe and in my head like the toenail just bends backwards and, Which is pretty much how he described and it. And I just, uh, like, even just, like, thinking that, I'm like, oh, dear God, no. I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> it's okay. But, and I just think, like, if I had been Bobby, I just would have passed out. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I would have passed that if I was Jonathan, too. Anybody, anybody in the room. Oh, God. Anybody in the situation, the fireman in the corner, mm. you would have just passed out. Um, and to have that be like the day that his mom was on set for the first time, which we had no idea. Yeah. Watching those episodes. Like if that happened to me, like, of course I want my mommy there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I can't move my foot. I'm broken. Help me. It hurts so much. Like you just want somebody else to take over in that moment and like be your mom. So who better than your actual mom? 
to take care of yeah. you in that horrible, horrible moment of your existence. That was incredibly lucky. And I like that he just was like, I can't feel, uh, oh, I feel too much. And his mom was like, it's okay. We're just going to go. And he's like, okay, everybody, I have to leave. <laughs> oh. Poor baby and his poor toe. I, mm. Mm. That was a moment fraught with many emotions for me. And it immediately brought back visuals of that those episodes where his toe was all wrapped up and i was like sweetie baby honey i had no idea i'm so sorry <laughs> so sorry for your poor toe like it brought an extra gravitas that's to him soldiering through that's dedication <laughs> like it is Ooh. Oh. walking upstairs and like getting in and out of the car with your toe all bandaged because someone else tried to murder it <laughs> yeah and i also liked that during that part, he talked about how the other four guys would help him carry things and, like, yeah. help him get around and stuff. And I was like, oh, it's another one of those instances where they're actually friends and they're not just, like, a couple, you know, like, a bunch of people that they put on a show together. It's mm -hmm. like they actually are what they appear to be. And I really liked that yeah. because, yeah, like Karamo's carrying his bags for him. And Anthony's like, do you need help getting up those stairs and all that kind of stuff? And I was just like, oh, I love it. So mm -hmm. I like I like stuff like that. So, yeah, I loved how he talked about the group, mm -hmm. how he talked about the guys and how he talked about like the my second favorite part of the book was probably when he talked about his casting process for the show. That was very interesting. Oh, I loved it so much because I could feel his feeling of like questioning whether or not he was what they were looking for. But knowing that he had such a strong voice and like such a strong message and he knew what he wanted to represent in the group and like on the show and to the audience and like on the Netflix platform, it was so powerful to me. Mm -hmm. And it really speaks to like why he deserves everything that he has gotten, like everything that he's worked for. He really, really deserves it because a lot of times he comes off as sort of like the hair guy and like the grooming guy and you think it's all like light and bubbly and fluffy and like, you know, he's going to give you a makeover and make you feel fabulous. But he has a real voice for the LGBTQ plus community, for himself, for his past, for like people who have never met someone like him, never experienced someone like him before. I think that is so beautiful and it made me so proud of like the Netflix producers for seeing that in him and being like, that's what we want. Like that's who we need to be part of this team. I loved it so much. Yeah. I also liked that throughout the book, he kind of talked about how he had had to deal with toxic masculinity and the expectation that he had to be a typical Midwestern guy. And mm -hmm. he was like, I never felt like that was me. And I didn't even want to pretend. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you're in a rural place or in a, in a Midwestern mm -hmm. place and stuff. And it's just like, you can't, you're not supposed to be that. So yeah. I really liked when he would, um, and it wasn't just like something he addressed like once it was something that would keep coming up and he would say like, it really gave him it, it. He illustrated how it gave him like a complex about how am I supposed to act? Are you going to, and I, he even opens the book with it. Like, are you going to love me for all my parts? Like if you really mm -hmm. knew everything about me and, and, and I like that he illustrated that through the various relationships that he had, whether it was romantic or otherwise that he was like, are people going to actually like me? even though I'm kind of flamboyant or I'm feminine sometimes, or, mm -hmm. you know, are men going to be bothered if I like to wear tights when I wear, when I go to yoga and things like that. So I, I really liked that he was very open about that as well because yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an important thing to be discussed. Um, guys can be sensitive and they can wear what they want just like girls can be, 
not sensitive and wear what they want. So it's it doesn't yeah. matter. And I really liked that he um, made that kind of a theme throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that like learning to accept yourself for who you really are. Mm-hmm. Like what he talks about, like living your truth a lot and like how you had to grow to love yourself before you can love anyone else or like before you can really even kind of come to a place where you're okay with everything that happened to you that made you who you are. That idea of like, yes, I used to like binge eat powdered donuts because I didn't know how to soothe my feelings because no one ever taught me that. And like I went through this like horrible sexual abuse when he was really young. Mm -hmm. And all of that becomes like part of the fabric of who you are. And you have to love and accept all of those parts of yourself because they're all so important to make you the person that you are. That's such a tough journey. Like it is. And I, that is so hard. It is. And I think that it also added a layer to it that when he talks about, he lived in this small town and his family owned the newspaper. So Mm -hmm. he was like, so when this sexual abuse happened, I was really afraid to come forward because it was going to end up in the newspaper, but the rumor mill had already kind of started. And so if I didn't say something, then it was going to be that I was a liar and I just wanted attention. And he just, Mm -hmm didn't know what to do and i i loved that his answer to everything was this is detrimental to my mental health i i'm not going to participate and it was like that was the best thing for him to do and they worked through it as a family and you know did the best that they could um Mm -hmm. given their circumstance so i thought that was also interesting to get the small town dynamic of it and and discuss yeah like the family owned the newspaper and i thought that was kind of cute that he likened them to the like the kennedys of the town yeah (laughs) he's like we were like a big deal but not really but like also we were so like only if you lived here but if you lived here my god (laughs) right right yeah so and and the the full title of the book is over the top of raw journey to self-love and i think that I mean, that's a perfect title because, I mean, when you first, because, like, when the original Queer Eye aired, I was mm-hmm. living in nowhere Nevada, and all we <laughs> all we knew was it was, like, a few gay guys were teaching straight guys how to, to live life. Yeah. That was all I ever knew about it, and then we, we never watched it or anything, but then I was given to understand it was, like, a very basic kind of makeover show so when the new one came out i was like i'm not really interested i mean power to them that they got their own show and they're um, renewing that and everything that's wonderful but i don't think i'm gonna watch this and then you were like no 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 no. (laughs) wait a second and i sat down and i watched it and i mean I, i like from the first episode i was hooked i was bawling and mm-hmm. but that is exactly what I would view Jonathan as is over the top, but like yeah. in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he really paints the picture that he's always kind of been that way. Like that is his natural state of being is like this over the top individual. Whatever he was doing, he was doing it to like the millionth degree and it was probably sparkly and it might have had fur and, it, you know, like Feathers. he's just, he's going to do it. Like whether it's floor routines in his basement at like age five or, you know, learning to cut hair and working in a salon at age 30, like whatever it is, he is going to do it up like to the most that it could possibly be done. And I think that he's very real with telling us, the audience, that that didn't always like it wasn't always comfortable for everyone, including himself, but he had to like express that it was inside of him and like it had to come out. And when he tries to bottle it up in various like moments in the book, it comes out anyway, sometimes in like really strange ways, but it's always there. It's like the air is in the balloon and you can't deflate it. So like if you try to push it on one side, it's going to come out the other side and like it's 
it sometimes it came out in really like self-destructive behavior. Other times it came out in like really sad moments. Sometimes it came out in anger, like, but he had that need to express himself and it was there and it was real even at like five. Mm -hmm. Um, And he really had to like make that journey to accept those parts of himself and be okay with being who he is. And I think that's a journey that everyone can relate to. And like, that's part of the magic of Queer Eye to me. It was in the original version to a lesser degree too, but it's really like about finding your voice and like finding who you are and then making yourself the best version of that person, Mm -hmm. whoever that is. Like if it's, you know, a crazy lounge singer, like who wants to wear green, like leisure suits, they're not necessarily going to tell you not to do that. They're just going to show you like maybe a more elevated way to do it or like a more balanced way to do it. Kind of like a way to celebrate yourself in the best way while also being the best version of you. Yes. And I think like that is such a great philosophy for a reality TV show because there's so many that are not like that. (laughs) Um, I love that idea when he talks about like grooming people and he says like, you know, I'm not going to tell you to like wax your entire chest because like you have a hairy chest and that's fine. So like how can we work with that to like make you the best version of yourself? You know, and if you really do want to wax it, like, okay, we can figure out a way to like make sure it doesn't have a bunch of like bumps and ingrown hairs when you're done. Like he's very real. (laughs) On that level, he's like, you tell me who you want to be and I will help you get there. And I think a lot of that for for them, for the whole Fab Five, comes from being on that journey themselves for such a long time. Like they had to figure out how to do that for themselves. And so now their like life's work is to do it for other people. That's just so beautiful. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. Truly, truly. Because I've also read tan france's book Mm -hmm. and which i have not and anthony's (laughs) cookbook i have karamo's book but i haven't read it yet that is on deck right now um i don't know that bobby has a book um i don't know i saw a really cute commercial with him and kittens but i don't know if he has a book (laughs) i would read the hell out of that book though for sure yeah Um, his life like all of their lives are so fascinating They really, they have like such a journey for all of them. And you get like these little bits and pieces of their story when they're kind of like in the spotlight on the different episodes, like depending on the situation and like who the hero is and kind of like what their journey looks like. You get these like snippets of their life. So we know like Bobby's relationship to the church. We know like his relationship to his family growing up. We know that he was like homeless for a while and like all of like he had struggles too. I just looked it up online. He does not have his own book okay. yet. Okay. Yet. Um, but I love that they all had that kind of like difficult journey, that like struggle that really made them beautiful people. Just wonderful people Absolutely. that I would hang out with in a freaking heartbeat. <laughs> I don't know if I could. I'd cry the whole time. Well, me too. But that's okay because they would wipe your tears and they would like give you a little bit of moisturizer for your puffy eyes and then like take you shoe shopping and it would be wonderful. That's true. That's very true. They're all <laughs> incredible people. So thank you for making me watch that. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. And I just, I like honestly, this book is now one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. It's so good. And and another part of the book that really hit me was when he got diagnosed with HIV. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I don't know that I'd ever read anything firsthand of somebody going through that. Um, I mean, I've, I'd seen, like, documentaries and depictions and movies and things like that but I don't think I'd ever actually like read something um where somebody was going through that that wasn't fictionalized and it was just really incredibly moving and how he dealt with it and I liked that he really showed the uh, emotional roller coaster that goes along with it Mm -hmm. and he's like you know I had been worried about this since I was old enough to know what it was. 
yeah. basically. Because um, the impression that I got from it, he doesn't actually go very much into that, but he seems to have always known that he was gay. And, yeah. and he doesn't, um, to my recollection, in the book ever talk about coming out. It was like everybody just knew. And um, so he was he was scared of that from the time that he was little. And he is so when when he got diagnosed and he said that it was like the monster had finally caught him, I started bawling. Yeah, just so, so terrible. But then I, I, I liked that he had clearly done his research and he was laying out like these scientific facts. And he's like, well, actually, mm-hmm. you know, we've made all these really great strides and I'm going to be OK. I'm probably going to live till I'm 75 and like this is going to be OK and there's hope. And, but we still have to keep researching and everything. And I was like, that's wonderful that he included all that information. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful like kind of stacking up his personal journey with like the larger story of HIV Mm -hmm. in the LGBTQ plus community and like the stacking that with like the medical facts to really like help along that road of destigmatization. The time that he grew up and like was learning about HIV and AIDS was such a dark time for like the LGBTQ plus community for like HIV positive individuals for understanding like how HIV was even spread, like how it even happened was all like really a mystery at first, like in the eighties and the early Mm nineties, like they were pretty much just like, Oh, they must be doing it to themselves. Okay. Like they're all going to die and we don't really care because it's not like, our problem quote unquote so I could feel that fear like I grew up in New York City mm-hmm. during that same time with a lot of friends who were LGBTQ and it was scary yeah you didn't really know how necessarily like, how to protect yourself how to be responsible like people seem to kind of cotton on to the idea that like condoms were really important mm-hmm. but Like, were they used all the time? Probably not as much as they should have been. Like, were they used in the right way? Probably not as much as they should have been. So, and they weren't getting any, like, help. They weren't getting medical support. They weren't getting, like, from a few people, yes. But, like, that really took a change in the medical community and, like, in the way that, and those pioneers were the ones that that really paved that way. And I love that he pays tribute to them. Mm When he says, like, if it weren't for, like, all of these people who stood up and were like, we're dying, you need to help us. We need this research. Like, we need this knowledge so that we can protect ourselves and each other and, like, live. Um, I thought that was so powerful Very. because I could hear, like, all of my friends' voices in his voice in that moment. Um. And I was like, yes, you are speaking for the community and, like you're giving credit where credit is due because that was such a powerful like struggle and such a journey. Mm. It was so hard and it's still hard, but people like him go talking about it, go such a long way towards continuing that like destigmatization and just showing that like you can be a whole and complete person, even if that's part of your reality, like it's not a death sentence. It's not something that you need to be like ashamed of or scared of that person you can like love them and hug them and accept them into your life just like you would anybody else. And I think that's so such an important message to give to people over and over and over again. People need to hear that from like everyone. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, were there any other parts of the book that really stood out to you? I really loved all of the talk of like uh, the Olympics. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I I think that was like a wonderful underlying theme of the book, Um, both like his experience with kind of latching on to that from a really young age as like being something that's really important and that like he could relate to and that was like kind of set like life goals for him, whether they were realistic goals or not. It doesn't really matter. Like that gave him something to kind of like focus on and it gave him a drive. I think it really like instilled that drive in him pretty early that I don't think he would be who he is today without that kind of like inspiration. So I love that. I'm a huge like Olympics gymnastics and like 
figure skating nerd too. So I loved when he talked about. <laughs> I thought I was until he started talking, and I just <laughs> was like, "Wow, I don't, I don't know any of these." Like he's talking about not just the Olympics, but like all the preliminaries <laughs> coming up to it and everything. And I was just like, "Oh my yeah. god." He's definitely a bigger nerd than me for that, like a hundred percent. But I remember being like a geeky kid, being like a nerdy kid who wasn't super coordinated, but who like appreciated that athleticism and that like beauty and that grace that I did not have whatsoever. Um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, so I really, I, I loved how that was like a continuing theme all the way through to the end of the book where he records the video with Michelle Kwan. Mm -hmm. I just, I loved that, like those fence posts along the journey where he was like, and just like, you know, <laughs> these yes. people in the 1998 Olympics, I was going to soar. And I was just like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was also impressed with uh, the time that he was working in Los Angeles and in, I think it was Tucson. That schedule made me want to cry. <laughs> Seriously. Like, so much playing time. Oh and Because um, he was like a hairstylist in Los Angeles, but this is before Queer Eye, so he was still really broke and... Mm -hmm. So he and his roommate would drive to Tucson a couple days a week to do hair there. And then they would drive back and they would only sleep for like five hours. And they'd have to go work for this fucking tyrant of a hairdresser <laughs> and everything. Mikhail. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and Igor. And it was just... <laughs> I I just I mean I'm a person who works a lot and I and I understand the struggle to make ends meet but I can't imagine to be driving back and forth between cities like that and I think he said he did it for like 2 years yeah or something and yeah. then later on he's doing hair in Los Angeles and New York and mm -hmm. sometimes there's stops in Minneapolis and I just was like it's a when do you sleep it's okay to sleep once in a while <laughs> yeah um but i think it just really shows that on top of everything else how driven he is to be successful mm -hmm. and how he had i get i don't know if this is the right phrase but like learned his lesson from his earlier mistakes and i also really liked that throughout the book he said that he felt really bad that he had to keep asking his parents to help him and he had to ask for money and he kept feeling like kind of a failure because he flunked out of college and got kicked off the chair squad and then he had to go home with his tail tucked between his legs and mm -hmm. he was like this really sucks I spent so much time and energy trying to get out of this place and I had to go home and that was yeah. what made him kind of snap out of a funk and he went to hair school um and then just worked his ass off. And I really admired that part of the story because it was like, damn, you like got it together and really went for it. Um, and there were a couple of slip ups after that, of course, but because he's human, go figure. Yeah. But I, I was really moved by that as well. Yeah. I cannot even appreciate his drive like enough. <laughs> I think he is definitely a person that when he figures out what motivates him and like figures out what he wants he goes for it mm -hmm. like come hell or high water he was gonna be a hairdresser come hell or high water he was gonna be on the cheer team he was gonna be on the swim team like he is tenacious mm -hmm. and I love that about him I love that like fire sometimes it's misdirected towards the wrong things but he owns that and he's like okay that was not a good time like that was a bad place to direct my energy like not helpful not healthy I needed help to get through those moments like to redirect himself and I I just I really appreciate that kind of attitude to have both in your life when things are going really well and when you can recognize when that kind of derailed you and like sent you to a place that wasn't good. I agree. And I also liked that when he was talking about his mental health, I so appreciated that he was 
gentle and forgiving with himself. And mm-hmm. he was like, you know what? I, I messed up. I fucked up. But at that time, I was sick. And I didn't yep. realize it um, because, I, you know, I mean, I've got my own anxiety problems, but that's a tendency that a lot of people in those shoes tend to have is I messed up, I messed up and you beat yourself up forever and it, you mm-hmm. don't stand back and go, but you know what? I did the best with what I had and I I was sick. My brain doesn't work like everybody else's. And I appreciated that he's such a public figure that and he was able to say that that Mm -hmm. people like me need to hear that because it's like yeah it's okay like yep you know what you messed up we all mess up but you also have to remember that like that's gonna happen because you were not healthy yeah Um, even if you thought you were but then you Mm -hmm. might not even realize it until years later and you look back and you go oh no what was i doing and it's because well i wasn't okay um, so yeah. I, I really liked that he also wove that into the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that his like the way that he discussed his own past and his own like mental health struggles and the way that he just like sort of honored himself. It felt like he was giving his past self like a big hug yes. and saying like, it's OK to be like who you were. Like Maybe that wasn't the best shining moment of you, but that's OK. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm still going to hug you and embrace you as like part of my reality. And he talked like about the sort of car metaphor, like all of these different versions of himself, like in the car in the minivan. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was like such a, a clever way to talk about. It sounded like it came from extensive therapy, right? Like that sounded like something that he and his therapist came oh, up yeah. with together. Um, but I was like, that is so, so true. Like you do have kind of all of these like conflicting selves that exist at different points and like are all kind of in your head, like talking to each other and like vying for control and power in the situation. And like sometimes the wrong person is driving and sometimes the other person is like tied up in the trunk. And just to kind of give yourself that like grace Mm -hmm. to say, maybe I didn't always make the best choice. Like maybe I wasn't always healthy, but that's okay. Like it happened. I accept it. It's who I am. Like it's part of my story. And I love myself anyway, and I hope that you will love me too. Like, it's just such a healthy way to relate to so much pain. And I think that was really important, like, to for everybody to hear that, for his entire audience mm-hmm. to hear that, like, you can go through anything and everything and still come out of it, like, loving yourself. Yeah. Ugh, such a good book. <laughs> I'm so proud of him and I'm so like proud of the book as like an encapsulation of his voice and all of the things that he does so well as part of the show, as a comedian, as like an online personality. Um, I'm just like so proud that he could distill it all down into something that's like funny and sweet and sad and like feelsy and dark and light and heavy and soft, like all at the same time. So much. I love it. I I don't (laughs) like, like six stars, honestly. I know, like a million stars, like like all the stars. All the stars in the galaxy. (laughs) Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Yeah. So uh, even though June is winding down and Pride Month is over, who cares? It should be year round. So go read it, listen Mm -hmm. to it or, you know, and then and then go back and watch Queer Eye. And it just really, I mean, it's already an incredible show, but it just adds like this Mm -hmm. next level. Yeah. And I would say like in the spirit of JVN, like give yourself that gift of going on that journey with him. Draw yourself a bubble bath, get yourself a face mask, like whatever self-care you need to do. Like that is such an experience that will make, it made me come out of the book, like kind of loving myself in a way that. I don't think I really like understood mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see myself like going back to this book if I feel sad about myself or like I'm trying to like judge myself too harshly. I'll be like, nope. Remember <laughs> that lesson. What would JVN um, do? Yeah. Like don't be that like rough on yourself. Don't be that judgmental of yourself because there's plenty of other people that will judge you. Like you don't have to do that to yourself. Seriously. 
<laughs> and I think that's a really important like just message that was sort of like overall like just embrace yourself love yourself message is so important incredibly so anyway go read it just do it do it do yourself a favor we already told you why (laughs) just go do it and what are we what are we talking about next time so we are in the midst of white trash zombie book five which is white trash zombie gone wild (laughs) and boy howdy um, I'm about halfway through right now, but uh, our plan is to come back in two weeks and discuss that book. We're almost even done. After this, we only have one more. I know. It's oh, the end of the series. So excited. Yeah. I want to like finish the story and like find out what happens. Yeah. Um, and we will. So while we have, yeah, while we have all of this like, you know, nowhere to go, stay inside, like <laughs> kind of energy hanging around, uh, we're going to keep reading. And come back with that in two weeks. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. This book is uh it's it's throwing me for so many feelings. Yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah. So until then, everybody wash your hands, stay safe. Mm-hmm. Um yep. if you're gonna go to a march again, wash your hands, wear your mask, and Yep, yep. And give yourself a little self-love. Yeah. Whatever that means to you. Like do a little self-care, take this quarantine opportunity to Turn a little bit of like shining spotlight on yourself because you deserve it. We all deserve it. We do. So <laughs> until then, take care of yourself and goodbye. Bye.